Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The 1865 Match Report. Hello and welcome to the 1865 Match Report. And we are reporting upon an eventful night at Bramall Lane. It was a match which finished one all. So honours even, the spoils shared and all of that. And predictably, Billy Sharp was the man who scored for Sheffield United. And the headlines were that it was a 95th minute equaliser by Ryan Yates that earned Forrest the point. Now, there's a whole lot more to it. There's a lot to talk about with this match. So we'll go through it as best we can. Let's start off with the team news. So Forrest obviously were forced into a change as Max Lowe was ineligible to play against his parent club. And so Ryan Yates came in. And what that meant is we had Horvath and goal, Worrell, Cook and McKenna across the back. Colback and Spence at wing-back, and then Garner and Yates holding midfield with Zinconagel playing behind Keenan Davis and Brennan Johnson. And I'm joined by Baz to discuss some of the match. Now, before we go into some of the details, Baz, just your gut instinct. Was this a point gained, two points dropped, or actually a bit of both? For most of the game, I would say, yeah, two points dropped. Um... On another day, that would have been a comfortable win for Forrest. And um, I have a few issues with some of the things we were doing during the game because of that. Um, yeah, it would be nice. It, definitely two points dropped from my point of view, from the from the way we played. Having said that, before the game, yeah, I'd probably have been happy with a point at Sheffield United. But yeah, with the, with the playoffs just in our grasp and the way we played, yeah, two points dropped. And uh, what was interesting as well um, is that Michelle Owen on Sky Sports was making the point that that goal, 30 seconds before the final whistle, deep into stoppage time, made the difference between Forrest being five points outside the playoffs and being two points outside the playoff zone um, with with basically everything to play for still. Um, it's so, so tight, isn't it? So... That's the out- upshot of the match. I mean, Forrest made a made a blistering start. Their intent was very clear right in the first minute because it was less than 60 seconds on the clock when Brennan Johnson forced a save from West Fodringham in the uh, Sheffield United goal. It was a deflected effort, but this came after a wave of yellow pressure going forward. And then from the resulting corner, Keenan Davis had a header, which was inches over and Sheffield United who have got an absolutely outstanding record since Paul Heckingbottom has took over as manager. They've not conceded um, for seven matches at home, which is an incredible record. And Forrest were asking all the questions. And I think it says a lot that their defence didn't look that hot 
and Fodringham was by far the busier keeper in the first period. So let's talk about some of those details. And so we've already mentioned that initial chance by Johnson and then Davis. Now, the next moment which is on everyone's mind was midway through the first half. Sheffield United had a young lad making his full debut at right wing back, a guy called Femi Sariki. And I think Femi Sariki got away with one because it is very clear. One of the advantages of wearing a fluorescent shirt is it's very clear when someone's pulling that shirt off your back. And Keenan Davis, I mean, really, Sariki should have been buying him dinner first, shouldn't he? Yeah, well, you say it's very clear, but the, I mean, again, on the TV, the replay showed the referee looked like he had a pretty clear line of sight as well. And he didn't see it, but even though there was at least like six inches, six inches of shirt being pulled off Davis's back. Um, I mean, to be fair, even if Davis had got to the ball, we, we, you, you don't know what he'd have done with it, but you still can't pull him down like that. Well, so this comes back to that whole issue of, of consistency that we've talked about so many times. I, I don't particularly want to make this a, a, a pod centred on the referee, um, but... Against Luton at home, Jack Colback had a penalty given against him for shirt pulling in the area, which, uh, you know, a man, a man kind of went down in a fairly similar way to what happened to Davis. And you know what? I had no problem with it. I said it in our match report on that night. No problem with the referee giving a penalty. As long as referees are told that's a penalty and give those decisions consistently. We've seen that happen in World Cups and in the Euros. And yet in league games, it's so inconsistent. You never know what you're going to get in those ones. And that's frustrating, isn't it? Yeah. And even then, the, the two other things that I find annoying about penalties is one is it, between two different games. Yeah. Two different referees might see it differently, but I'd like the, the, at least that one referee during the 90 minutes to be consistent in those decisions, which um, is something that we've not had this season. And then the other thing is when it comes to a penalty shout as well, there's so much weight on it that if you have one refused or you, you get win one, it's almost like it cancels out all your chances for a penalty shout for the rest of the game. And it's, it's, it's really, if getting it wrong actually matters even more because of okay. that. So let's, let's riff on that then, because it was not that long afterwards that Forrest did get awarded a penalty and what the Blades fans seem to be saying on social media is that, well, actually, the one on Davis was probably more of a penalty and the referee almost gave gave this one to even it out. Now, on Sky, uh, I know a lot of Forest fans have beef with Don Goodman. Um, and I have to say, Goodman was getting on my nerves on this one because yeah. he kept just trying to argue that it was it was a soft decision. But as far as I'm concerned... Uh, Jedman Spence, he made a run into the area. He got the wrong side of his fullback, as far as the defender's concerned. And the defender stuck his leg in and and it made clear contact with Jedman's right leg. And so, as far as I'm concerned, that, that's a penalty. Shoved on his back. So the, the leg contact put him off balance and then he shoved over. So I think it it, it was softer than the, the Davis penalty, but I think it was definitely a penalty. Yeah, OK. And... I think I, w- I would agree with that. I say it's softer, but it doesn't stop it from being a penalty. Yeah. Um, and so we had a clear chance to score a goal. And I don't know about you, but it's pretty obvious to me that Brennan, what Brennan was going to do. And unfortunately, it was really, really obvious to Wes Fodringham as well. Yeah. And, and even if he was 
if you're going to hit it straight down the middle, you've got to give proper welly it uh, or give it a, a chip. And he did on either of them. He pr- pretty much hit it straight at Botheringham's arms. So, okay. Well, he took the, the issue is is that he took exactly the same penalty that he took at Blackburn. If you're going to have a particular style of penalty, you've got to make sure it's going to work. And this yeah. was a criticism I've had of Lewis Graben for two years until this season, which is he always takes the same penalty and therefore it's really easy for a keeper to anticipate. This one, Fodringham, all he had to do was say, OK, last time Brennan Johnson took a penalty, he feathered it up the middle at head height. So if I stay on my feet, I've got a pretty good chance of saving it. And then uh, Joby McEnough in the Sky Sports studio also made a really good point, which is that it was so obvious. If you're going to do it, you've got to disguise it. You've got to keep the keeper guessing. And Brennan, he looked at the middle. His body shape was all, I'm going to feather it up the middle. And you've got to give something, something more there. And interestingly, Steve Cooper, he didn't attempt to defend Brennan, did he? All he did was no. focus upon Brennan's going to learn from this. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean, you, you, you'd expect that from Cooper, given the, the type of manager he is and how he looks after his young players. Um, I was surprised when it was Johnson standing up to take it in the first place, though, to be honest, I thought Davis might want it. Well, apparently he is the designated penalty taker now that um, Graben's out and Taylor's gone. So, um, And he took penalties for Lincoln last season and he scored them. So yeah. not that many, but he took some. So I could understand that. And let's be honest, it's Brennan who's the man who's taking the bulk of the goal scoring burden, as we've discussed yeah. in previous weeks. So if we think about that, that was the obvious clear chance. But Forrest still looked threatening. Uh, there weren't so many quite so clear cut chances, but we had moments where the uh, the obvious one, I think, was when um, Zinkenagel um, tried to create a few openings. He had one of those matches where he was trying to break through between the defenders and he ended up keeping on running into him, didn't he? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's kind of almost not quite, but almost quite like out muscled. Um, there was a shot from Cook as well, I think, mm-hmm. from a corner in the first half. Um, which forced a good save off Fotheringham. But yeah, it was one of those, and I'm sure we'll come back to this. I thought we, even though we were making chances, we looked a bit soft-edged. And when we had the ball, we didn't really string passes together either. We didn't look, it was like the chances were falling to us rather than us making the chances, if, if that makes any sense. Okay, yep. But as you said, we'll come back to this a little bit yep. later. <laughs> yeah. um, so it was nil-nil at half time, And it's fair to say as well that Forrest kept playing in that same vein. Um, for all the criticism that Don Goodman takes from Forrest fans, he was absolutely singing, singing the Reds' praises because mm-hmm. Forrest just... You would not have known that Sheffield United were one of the form teams in the division, especially with such a strong home record. And in my and, mind, Forrest... You would not have known that Sheffield United were the home team. Well, yeah, quite. And and to my mind, um, you know, it was, and we were discussing this in our WhatsApp group, all that was missing was the goal, which was the really yeah. frustrating thing. You're listening to 1865, the Nottingham Forest podcast. We'll skip forward a little bit because there were other moments. Again, Zinkenagel had a chance. It was a, it's a nice move, actually. Um, a really good one, too, with Keenan Davis. And Zinkenagel found himself in the left-hand channel. He should have done the classic corridor of uncertainty ball where Brennan Johnson was running in, but he tried to welly it with his left foot and he hit the side netting. 
and he didn't even make the keeper work and that's disappointing yeah. there are a couple of runs by davis where he was he was he was he was loving it wasn't he he really yeah. was <laughs> there was that one where um, yeah he, he he sort of picked up the ball and then ran into one of their defenders and then picked it up again after pushing the defender out of the way and managed yeah. to get into the box it, it, he was he was on fire but yeah. without it was a very, goal very, very reminiscent of of the goal he set up for Jimmy Garner at Blackburn, wasn't it? Where yeah, he was yeah. just he was just thundering through him and still retaining the ball even when he went down. He was the first one up and he had the, still had the ball at his feet. So there was there's some real yeah fire in fire in, in the bellies, and of course in time and a tradition you've got to capitalise when you're on top, haven't you? Because yeah, there were a couple of things that are, were, were notable. And the first one was actually from Sheffield United, which was they made substitutions. And let's be honest, Paul Heckingbottom, he'll have been watching that. And after an hour going, we've got to change something because we're in trouble here. And he made substitutions. And one of the substitutions was for Daniel Jabberson, a centre forward, to come on in place of Ollie Norwood, who is their anchorman midfielder. And the other one saw little Benny Osborne come on for Sariki on the right flank. So, mm-hmm. um, it meant that Sheffield United had a very lopsided back five because I think four out of the five are left footers um, and John Egan was playing in the middle. So Benny Osborne was playing right wing back, which is something of all the positions he played for Forrest. I don't even think that was <laughs> one of them. But it made a difference, didn't it? And added a real sense of impetus towards what the Blades were doing. And it took a little while for it to pay off, but it certainly did pay off. And as we said, um, you know, you could have predicted that it, it would have been that man who would have scored the goal. And, and you were telling me before we started recording that that's the, basically the goal was your fault, wasn't it? Yes, the, I have to hold my hands up and say it's an, entirely my fault because I was just telling the, the people I was with uh, that, um, that, that Billy Sharp, Sir William Sharp, is one of the greatest strikers there's ever been. And, and he goes and proves it by scoring a great goal. Yeah, and... What I will do, there's two things to really note here. And as an opposing fan, I hope that people will take this in the spirit in which it's intended, which is that Morgan Gibbs-White is quite possibly one of the best passers of a ball I've ever seen at championship level. His ability to pass the ball, to thread it through. I mean, we've had brilliant ball players like Andy Reid and Raddy Majewski and so on. Um, But Gibbs-White, he... He's one of those who looks like a classic, too good for the championship, not quite good enough for the Premier League, <laughs> because he was just a cut above. And and for all that Sheffield United huffed and puffed for 67 minutes, um, it was he was the one who looked likely to make something for them. Yeah. And it was his cross that, and again, an absolute peach of a cross, and Billy Sharp leapt like a salmon. And let's, let's be honest, remember, 35-year-old Billy Sharp, I think he is, um, you know, like Lewis Graben, you have to prefix his name with his age. <laughs> Veteran striker. And, I mean, perfect cross. That lad from Sheffield, as um, Sean O'Driscoll used to call him. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, um, he's everything you want in a championship striker, isn't he? And, and he yeah. proved it with the goal he scored because, I say, fabulous cross, fabulous header. And, of course, our, our hearts sunk and our heads are in our hands. But the thing that we've talked about so many times is that Forest have tenacity. So, Blades were a goal up. It looked like they could potentially score more as well, didn't it? Yes, yeah. They, they basically took heart from that. And this is kind of what comes back to what I was saying. You wouldn't have tell, been able to tell that, that Sheffield United were the um, home team. The way they played, it was a smash and grab 
against the run of play goal, and then they started to, to dominate based on that. Um, it was it was an away team performance against us in many ways. Um, we were not holding on, but we were struggling for the for the next twenty minutes or so. Yeah, and uh, the way I the way I summed it up on Twitter was to say that for the first seventy minutes, I was wondering you know how we weren't in the lead and then for the next 25 I was fearing we were going to get absolutely battered yep um yeah and yeah you could see it them them getting at least one more maybe to even two the, the way yeah. they were coming at us and we couldn't get hold of the ball at all yeah and and there were some really important moments so there was a block tackle by Steve Cook when um Gibbs White played I think it was Jebison played him through on, in the left channel and um, yeah, perfectly timed. The uh, the one that's kind of uh, going to be in, probably in the match highlights was um, Forrest had a corner, Blades broke forward and Philip Zinkenagel ran <laughs> the length of the pitch. And I mean, bearing in mind, he, he, he was kind of, he was blowing a bit going forward, but he absolutely, he looked like a, a seasoned, a seasoned centre half, didn't he, with that tackle? And, well, and the thing with that, that not only had he run that length of the pitch, but getting that tackle an inch wrong and it was an instant red card and yeah. and he managed to pull the ball off the, the player's foot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it perfectly timed, perfectly timed um, and perfectly executed. Um, so, you know, maybe he's when he's when he's uh, over 30, maybe he'll be one of those who reinvents himself as like an anchorman type midfielder. Yeah. Who knows? Um, Ethan Horvath had to be called into action as well. He made two or three um Decent saves, reflex saves, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Um, his shot stopping was pretty good. His kicking wasn't too bad. There, there was a few bits where his distribution wasn't great, but it was much, much better than it was against Bristol City. Yeah, you can you can tell. I mean, at the, well, whether we'll have time to come back to this later, I'm not sure, but you can tell that um, Samba's definitely the one who fancies himself as an outfield player. Let's put it that way. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so Forrest knew things had to change. And the first thing they changed was taking off a defender and putting on a centre forward. So McKenna went off. Uh, Forrest went four at the back. And Sam Surridge came on. So Surridge went to centre forward and Davis pulled to the left. And that was presumably because Surridge was full of running and energy. And so he was pressing higher up against against Sheffield United in, in the hope that it was, it was pulling the ball, the whole team further forward. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was most notable when there were a few back passes and a few kind of hopeful through balls. And Surridge was just, he was giving it everything in terms of legs um, yeah. with limited effectiveness, let's be honest. Um, not long after that, um, about five minutes later, so five, 85 minutes, Zinconagel came off and Mighton came on. So that saw Brennan move into the sort of number 10 type role and Martin played on the right-hand side. And then not long after that, we saw the final substitution, which was Colback coming off and Lolly coming on. And <laughs> we were just saying, it's like, it was interesting trying to work out if there was a formation still at play. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, at the time I was like, who the hell is playing where? I have, I have no idea what we're, is this some sort of 4-2-4 kind of thing going on? I don't really understand. But what I will mention is that Steve Cooper has been pretty adamant in those matches where we've needed to get a late goal to get something out of the game. So he's got a game plan, even yep. if the personnel on the field changes. He doesn't want to shift away from that game plan and those tactics, even if the formation yep. changes. Uh, right at the end of the interview, he said, yeah, so we, we'll, we'll take what happens on the pitch and measure it against our plan. 
Mm. So I thought that which was quite an interesting way of putting it. Okay, yeah, yeah, it's true. And you know what? There's there was an interesting moment just after Lolly came on. So actually in in the space of about five, six minutes, Lolly was involved quite a lot, actually, as <laughs> as you would hope, as as we love to see. Um so he tried to make a couple of foragers forward. And it was actually when Forrest uh, were had a corner, the ball came to Lolly on the edge of the box. He tried to loft it back in. It was a poor pass intercepted by um, Sheffield United, who put Daniel Jebison through from the halfway line, two against one with Lolly being the last line of defence. Yeah. And you could tell he was going, right, OK, what do I do here? Do I go to the ball? Do I stay where I am? And he just about made the right decision because he went close enough to the ball that it forced Jebison's hand and Jebison fluffed it. Yeah. And that was crucial because Gibbs White threw on goal in the last minute. Yeah. You'd have put your house on him to to finish the match off, wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was um, it, as soon as you saw it was two against one, even if it hadn't been Lolly, you'd be like, "Yeah, actually, this this is over because it all all it takes is that that one pass, and and both uh, our defender and the keeper will be out of position." And luckily, Jebison got the pass wrong. Yeah, and in that case, I think it's one of those things whereby actually we're pretty lucky that Sir William Sharp wasn't on the pitch because <laughs> if it had been Gibbs White and Sharp going forward there, yeah, I think we could have had a different result. And what that meant was. I think, to be honest, that may have psychologically handed Forrest a bit of a lifeline. They were plugging away anyway, but they got a corner more or less out of nothing. Yeah. And then cometh the hour, once again, cometh the man, number one, Ryan Yates. And <laughs> it was a decent delivery, but Yates's movement in the box was pretty good. He lost his marker very well. Yeah. I have to say, bearing in mind that this was the last minute of stoppage time, It'd actually already gone 95 minutes, I think, when the corner um, was taken. And I have to say, even as the ball flashed off Yates's head, I thought, oh, crap, it's gone wide. But suddenly it nestled in the net. Yeah. I, I don't know if you felt, felt the same. My wife felt the same watching it with me. She was like, <laughs> she was just taken yeah. aback. Uh, well, I think part of, the, part of the reason he got the header was, I think it was, he sne- sort of sneaked around beside Worrell. I think. Mm-hmm. And so the, the marker was worrying about Worrell and that's how he got the header, but the ball sort of went behind Worrell from where, where we were looking. And so that's why we couldn't see what had happened to it. And yeah, and yeah, yeah. so it was just a nice surprise. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you could tell how much it meant to not only Yates, but to the rest of the team as well yeah. to have, to have got that goal, to have got out of jail. And as going back to where we started, it simultaneously was two points dropped and a point gained, wasn't it? Yeah. It was simultaneously delighted and disappointed. And let's move on to, because, you know, let's be honest, it was time, time enough to kick off and that was about it. Yeah. So let's move on because Steve Cooper said he was delighted with the performance. And to be honest, I'd expect him to say that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, to, to, for, for one dominating the game and then turning it around right at the end like that, on that, on those terms, it was a brilliant performance. Um, I think I would take issue with a few bits and pieces in the game. I thought, as I think I've mentioned before, we weren't ruthless enough when we had the ball and when we when we were getting our shots in. Um, I was looking at the stats, and there weren't actually that many shots on target. There were quite a few shots, but the, but they were they were wide or or whatever. 
um, I think it's four on target. Yeah, four on target and four off given, target. Which, given the, so what yeah, happened to the yeah. other to the to the other shots, yeah. <laughs> the other five shots that we took. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so given the impression, if you think back on the game, you say right, we dominated for seventy minutes and we had loads and loads of chances, but actually it was four shots on target. Uh, I'd be interested to see what the XG says at the end of it as well. Um, and then the other thing I thought, especially for in the bit when we were dominating, I didn't think we really strung any passes together. So we were dominating without controlling the game, as it were. It was more Sheffield United couldn't keep hold of the ball. So we would then win it back high up the pitch and then make something off it rather than. And again, I think in many ways, this is probably Ghana's least successful match for a good few months and I think that's probably related. We didn't we didn't hold the ball very well. We didn't use the ball very well. Um, so I think there's there's a there was a bit of work to be done on that yeah. side of things. I'd say that Jimmy Garner's main contributions were obviously taking the set pieces, um, and also when Forrest were chasing the game, and he was doing that thing where he was coming deep to receive the ball off the centre halves in the left in the left channels, yeah. and that's when he showed up. But yeah, in terms of his his um, being the person to progress the ball through the team and spraying the passes out wide, he was quieter today. Zinkanagel, as we've already discussed, he can be quite explosive in that kind of number 10 position. And he tried to be, but he just wasn't getting anywhere today. It was a frustrating one for him, I think. And I also thought that actually we didn't really see Yates for a lot of the match until yeah. we were chasing it, to be perfectly honest. So midfield yeah, yeah. was was... Yeah, yeah I, I kind of I can see where you're saying because yes, we dominated the match, but you'd expect domination to stem from the midfield area. Yeah, um, and it did, and we did. I think the balance of the team had shifted with Max Lowe being out and Colback being sh- shunted out to the left. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and I, I think so. Yeah, from from that point of view, yeah, you can say it with Steve Cooper's will say it's a brilliant performance, but I think. I've always said games are won and lost in midfield, and and yeah, as you say, we didn't show in in midfield quite as much. So it wasn't as great a performance as it at first appears. I think. Okay, well, um, I will just point out to the listener that other opinions are also available, and what I would also say is that it was really noticeable uh, how much I could see Sheffield United fans on social media saying. Forest were by far the best team that we've played this season at Bramall Lane, and Keenan Davis was the was the most complete performance <laughs> we've seen. And of course, the trouble there is, yes, it was a complete performance in terms of him being a bustling number nine. wasn't in the box that much, and the one time he was was that one where his shirt was pulled. So yeah, mm, yeah you can make of that what you will. But having said all that, I mean, if we were on the eighth game of the season. <laughs> Would you have taken a point away at Sheffield United and almost in the playoffs? Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah. you can't really complain that much. It shows how how much further... If, if I'm saying we had a bad performance because Jimmy Garner didn't control the entire match for 90 minutes, that shows how far we've come. Mm, yeah, that's a fair point. Just a very quick one about Monday's match against Huddersfield. Would you expect to see, broadly speaking, the same lineup? And what do you think he will do in between the sticks? Um, I think I suspect it will be the, a very, very similar lineup because it's it's almost like it's one in, one out kind of thing. Um, I think it will be Horvath on Monday and Samba back for the league. 
Okay, and Maxi coming back in at left back. So, which of the midfielders do you think will get dropped? Um, probably it looks like it's going to be well. I'd, 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 I'd actually, I'd probably put it down to fitness or whatever. But um, Yates is the the obvious one that he's been dropping for that kind of thing. So mm. uh, that's probably the likely. Okay. Well, thank you to you, listener, for joining us tonight. And it was a really great advert for the championship. I'm sure we'll all agree. And in the end, yes, two points, two points dropped, but a point gained away at Bramall Lane. So uh, still all to play for. And we'll be back after Monday's match with a match report in your feeds coming up soon. Sports Social Podcast Network.